And if that wasn't warm enough, we're going to warm up even more for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Daytime highs over the weekend and Friday will be in the upper 80s, maybe even 90 degrees on Sunday. And with those warmer temperatures will also come a slight chance of rain each afternoon, a 30% chance on Friday, 50% chance Saturday, and a 30% chance again on Sunday. Then on Monday, we have a bigger chance of rain. And then Tuesday, sunny skies and cooler temperatures, a high around 80. Right now, it's 81 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Coming up next, it's Vena here on 89.3. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the only show on public radio dedicated to put you on the path to financial freedom through real estate investing. And today we are talking about a very critical issue in real estate investing, one that confuses and and just just drives insane any real estate investors and yet uh, everyone tells you you have to do it that is of course asset protection my guest today is John Heyer who is a real estate investor as well as a tax attorney and an accountant from the Columbus Ohio area we are going to throw the phone lines open day for any questions that you have about entities whether it be LLCs, corporations, land trusts, family limited partnerships, uh, checkbook LLCs, anything you want to talk about at 772-9658 or at 877-772-9658 outside the greater Cincinnati area. Again, that's 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You can also, of course, Send us a Gmail, an email to the usual location. Whew, that's askvena at gmail.com, A-S-K-V-E-N-A at gmail.com. Uh, joining us from Columbus, Ohio is John Heyer. John, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, how are you doing, Vina? <laughs> Good, John. How are you? Did I catch you by surprise? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure when I was on and when I wasn't on. <laughs> well, you are, you are now on, so... Um, we're we're going to talk today about uh, sort of some some general asset protection issues, just because it's been a long time since we've done that, and it's a very important topic. We're also going to talk about a little bit about a new um, concept. Um, I, I guess not brand new. I've been hearing rumors about it for probably three to five years, uh, but 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 people are just now figuring out what it is and what it can do, and that is the checkbook LLC. Once again, I want to encourage callers to ask their questions while we've got you on the line for free at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or sending, by sending a, um, an email to askvina at gmail.com. Uh, now, John, I know you work with a lot of real estate investors in both your, your, uh, 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 the accounting end of your business, your, your, your tax accounting and bookkeeping and so on, and also in the legal part of your business. If, if you could just say one thing to all the real estate investors out there about asset protection that address like, the most common things you hear, the most common problems you run across, what would that be? You're asking a lawyer to say one thing. That's rough. <laughs> well, I'll let you say other things later. I'm just saying one thing for right now. Run away from Nevada quickly. <laughs> okay, so no Nevada corporations. Let's let's talk about that because, um, gosh, I don't know any time that I go to a real estate investment association when someone doesn't come up to me and say, uh, hey, uh, w w what about Nevada corporations? Should I get one of those? Uh, for, for those who have not heard that pitch, what is the pitch and what's wrong with it? 
the pitch is that Nevada law is better than the law in your state, which is true. It's just not very relevant. Uh, the problem being, especially with real estate, real estate is where it's at. I can't move it to Nevada. So if I have a Nevada LLC or corporation and I've got a property in it and I have an issue, the odds of Nevada law applying are extraordinarily low. You have a better chance of winning the lottery, voting for an intelligent politician, all sorts of uncommon things are going to happen long before you see Nevada law apply in a place like Ohio where the real estate is at. So you basically are getting double billed. You pay Ohio and Nevada fees, but you're under Ohio law 99.9999% of the time. So mm -hmm. it's just a terrible deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, these folks who claim that they have overcome that because what, what they're going to do for you for the $6,000 setup fee is also uh, set you up an office in Nevada or a statutory agent in Nevada so that you can avoid, uh, you know, or actually actually what they, what they tell you is that uh, laws in Nevada are more business friendly so that if you ever get sued, it's much more likely that it would, uh, you know, be a... a, a uh, it would be decided in your favor. Uh, that doesn't work either? No, because, again, the property's not there. The only time it has a prayer of working is if I can move the property to Nevada. If I have, for example, uh, stock certificates or notes or something I could put in-state physically, at least there's an argument that there's a benefit. Now you have to ask, is the benefit worth the cost? A whole separate question, but at least there's an argument. But if the property's not there, you can have an office there, you could have your great-aunt Millie there, you could have a statutory agent there. It simply won't matter with real estate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I assume the same thing applies to the Delaware corporations and the Alaska corporations and all the other twists on this whole Nevada thing that keep coming up. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes sense for Fortune 500 because there are some laws that would apply no matter where you're at if you have a Nevada company. It's just those laws don't affect us. A good example, derivative lawsuits. Uh, that's when the shareholders sue the management. The law that applies is the law where the entity is created, Delaware, Nevada, wherever. Now, in our case, it doesn't really matter because the shareholders and the management are usually the same people. So unless you're looking to sue yourself and make sure that two deserving lawyers make a whole bunch of money so that you can teach yourself a lesson after you did something bad to you, it just doesn't make any sense. We don't really care where the derivative lawsuit takes place because, in our case, we're never going to see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the shareholders of my corporation are never going to sue me. Yeah, unless you are very bad to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so um, if not if not a Nevada corporation, would you say that? Um, real estate investors in general, and I mean, we're talking about people who do a lot of different things here. We're talking about landlords, we're talking about flippers, we're talking about people who own mobile home parks and apartment buildings and people who own tax liens, uh, that they do need entities? Yes, I think they make sense. It's not the end-all, be-all of asset protection. There's a lot more than just having the entities, the first thing I want to say. A lot of people get an entity, and they now think they're bulletproof and proceed to do a lot of really dumb things which get them sued. Uh, you still have to pay the lawyers even if you win, et cetera, et cetera. So I think entity use is a great idea. I would set them up in your home state. The real question then gets into which entity should you use, and that's going to depend a lot on what is that investor doing. Probably the only exception to using a home state entity, this would apply to people in your area. With you being in Cincinnati, if you go buy one property in Kentucky, I would probably just register your Ohio entity in Kentucky. If you start buying a bunch of properties in Kentucky, you may want to set up a different entity over there to run that business. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, very good. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a, a bit more about asset protection. We're going to take your calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or answer your questions that you can send to askmina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859 292 7342. Checking on traffic right now, we have an accident on Clough Pike near State, also East North Bend at Paddock, 19th at Madison and Covington. 
an accident with injuries. Uh, Delta at Hardesty, North Bend at Simpson, Westwood at Grand, and Beekman at Westwood Northern Boulevard with injuries. Uh, the lanes northbound 75 in Kentucky, where there was an accident, that's been uh, cleaned up. So those lanes have been reopened. And let's see, we still have Bach Buxton uh, Road, uh, some delays around Route 32, but the intersection is reopened. Uh, police are now directing traffic because of traffic lights malfunctioning 3rd at Central downtown. And we still have a little situation of some high water uh, in uh, northern Kentucky on southbound 75 near the US 42 overpass. Weather forecast this evening, clouds moving out, some clear skies overnight with a low tonight around 80, or I'm sorry, low tonight around 60 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 85. And then we really warm up this weekend. Highs in the upper 80s, maybe even 90 degrees on Sunday with some humidity and a daily chance of a thunderstorm over the weekend. Program support on WMKV comes from the Manor House Restaurant. Located on the campus of Maple Knoll Village, the Manor House offers lunch and dinner as well as Sunday brunch and weekend buffets. Private party rooms are also available. Information and reservations at 513-782-4300. That's 513-782-4300. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Heyer, who is an attorney, an accountant, and a real estate investor. And uh, sometimes comes here to Real Life Real Estate to talk asset protection because uh, I know you guys have a million little questions about this that uh, you know you, if you call up your lawyer and ask him, it's going to cost you 100 bucks just to make the phone call. So this is, not only are we not going to charge you 100 bucks, we got a toll-free number. I mean, how do you beat that? It's 877-772-9658. If you are in the greater Cincinnati area, you can use 772-9658, or you can send an email to askvena at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A. And, uh, uh, John, we do have a, a an email here from uh, Dennis, who lives in northern Ohio, who says, have you ever heard of a family limited partnership for protecting your assets? It's not something I hear mentioned a lot, but someone told me it was the best asset protection entity there was. Which entity makes sense is going to depend a lot on the facts. Traditionally, with estate planning and non-business assets, more something like investment assets, stock and the like, we do see a lot of family limited partnerships. Now, all a family limited partnership is is a limited partnership that has various family members as limited partners and perhaps general partners in the family limited partnership. And what you're able to do, uh, let's say my 13-year-old daughter, I want to give her a 100% interest ultimately in some rental property. I might put that into a family limited partnership or a family limited LLC. I have two types of shares, A and B. And I give her B shares over time so that ultimately she gets the income from the rental. So I've functionally given her the rental, but I control the A shares. So if she brings home a guy that doesn't meet with dad's approval, starts spending money on the wrong things, dad has the voting shares and cuts off the supply of money. So it's a way to pass things on, do it incrementally using the gift rules to your advantage. It does provide asset protection, but it keeps control where you want it. Okay. So, so that's a that's a maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> it's a legitimate planning device. They're very common. Um, people call, nickname them, lawyers nickname them flips, and then we call the LLCs, family limited LLC, is flicks. Very common devices, but it's going to depend again on exactly what you're doing, how it's set up, and if you use it. Okay. All right. Um, let's. Uh Let's talk briefly about uh, one of the things that, of course, confuses a lot of folks, and that is why one entity versus another. The, the, two that, the two that are pitched at real estate investors an awful lot are the limited liability company and the S corporation. Um, you almost never hear a C corporation uh, recommended for a real estate investor. But an attorney who tells you to get an LLC will fight to the death that that is the very best thing, and, a, and, a, and one that tells you to get an S-Corp will fight to the death that that is the very best thing. Is there really that much of a difference? Yeah, there's a lot of difference. It's just like any other tool. If I want to hammer a nail, I should use a hammer. If I want to unscrew something, I should use a screwdriver. And when you mix the two up, things get messy. 
Each entity has its uses. For example, LLCs are very common for rental properties. That's almost always what we suggest, unless you're in an oddball state like Pennsylvania, where their tax structure makes a limited partnership a little bit better. So we like LLCs for rentals, and that's a pretty generic recommendation. If you're doing flips, it's really going to depend. I need to know more about you. I need to see your returns. I need to see your future business plans. How much do you think you're going to make? How are you going to make it? What are you going to spend it on? All that sort of thing. Once I get a feel for that, I can recommend an entity. The reason S-corporations are very popular is that they can be used to reduce self-employment and Social Security taxes. Now, on rentals, it's irrelevant. Under statute, they're exempt from Social Security tax. But flipping typically does give rise to Social Security tax, so one way to reduce that would be an S-corporation. But depending on the client, sometimes we like limited partnerships for flipping, sometimes C-corporations, rarely, but sometimes. And sometimes we might even use two out of three entities, totally depending on that client's profile. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, prob- probably something that we ought to mention, too, is that there are a number of, um, I, I don't know, like courses you can buy or, or uh, set up packages like, okay, we, we get on the Internet and for $99 they'll sell you, quote, all the paperwork you need to set up a corporation or an LLC. And it it's almost always a really good idea for the investor to at least have a sit-down with an attorney who is an expert in this and understands his situation before moving forward, even if the guru said, here are my $3,000 package, we'll teach you everything you need to know about how to set up your own blah, blah, blah. Oh, I would agree. I see so many people get into trouble. I actually should probably send a small commission check to those gurus because they'll teach somebody something. That person will do it, right or wrong, they'll do it, and then they come to us to fix it up. So it's a steady stream of client work, which we really appreciate. Uh, It's probably cheaper if you come to somebody who knows what they're doing beforehand. At least have them look over your paperwork. I would say especially if you've got a third party as a partner, meaning it's not a single-member entity or you're not partnering with your spouse, but you're actually dealing with somebody other than your spouse as a partner. In that case, at least having a lawyer look at your operating agreement or your bylaws or your partnership agreement, whatever you want to call it, that's really just mandatory. I think it would be foolish. I would also have a tax person. You just want to run by the tax impact of using a certain kind of entity. Uh, Some of those guru courses recommend doing really dumb things. For example, putting a rental property into a corporation of any sort is generally a really dumb thing for tax purposes. So just running it by a professional for tax or a legal, at least a look, makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a really good question to ask your professional is how much experience, how many times have they done this for other real estate investors? Because sometimes the worst advice comes from your attorney who, uh, yeah, he did your divorce and he wrote your will and didn't want to say, actually, I have no idea what the right thing to do for you in this in this completely other arena would be, and people get stuck with stuff that they have to they have to untangle or or live with for years that wasn't the appropriate type of asset protection to begin with. Well, the better attorneys, I would say, the more honest ones, and no, that's not a contradiction in terms. Will actually be very rapid to tell you what they don't know. For example, if you ask me to help you with divorce law. Look, I married a five-foot-tall Latina who's very jealous. As far as she's concerned, there's one way out of the marriage, and it doesn't involve paperwork. It involves pointy objects when I'm sleeping. And so I don't know anything about divorce law because it's not going to do me any good. So when a client, and I've had it happen, a client will ask me to help with their divorce, and my advice is usually, you know, buy Kevlar, sleep alone. (laughs) I I just don't know. It's not what I do. So I, I agree completely. Lawyers specialize. It's just like doctors. Um, you'd be better off going to an eye surgeon for heart surgery than you would be going to your brother-in-law. But all in all, I'd recommend a cardiologist or a heart surgeon for heart surgery. Same thing with lawyers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, very good. Now, uh, again, listeners who ask me all these asset protection questions when only I am here and all of my answers start with, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is, see, today's the at the day to actually ask those questions of the guy who's the attorney 
or askvina at gmail.com. We have a question here from uh, Rhonda in Atlanta, John, who who, uh, has a question about land trusts. She says, uh, I was speaking to a local guru and he strongly recommended, and I think we, I think I probably know who this is actually who did this. He strongly recommended that all properties be put into land trusts as well as LLCs. Is this really necessary? And, and I guess uh, maybe for listeners who haven't heard that term before, maybe we ought to get a, give a quick explanation of what a land trust is. Sure. A, a trust is really not an entity. It's more of an agreement. I would say, Vina, would you please hold on to my properties, put them in your name, and then we have a contract that says I have complete control over them and can boss you around and get the deeds, and basically they're just in your name. It's what we call a legal fiction. They're legally in your name, but I have equitable ownership, meaning I have true ownership. But to the world, it looks as if you own them. One of the reasons you do this, now the the number one reason to do this, the number one, I should say, legitimate reason to do it, is estate planning, probate planning. You can't really do estate planning without using trusts. On the other hand, there are a lot of people out there who recommend using a land trust, which is basically a trust that just holds land, and the beneficial owner has all the power. They just dictate what happens to it, but it's in someone else's name. The theory is is that it hides your assets. And if you want to hide your assets, knock yourself out. I don't really think it provides significant asset protection. I'll give you an example. There's this theory that if you look poor, lawyers are far less because when they search for your assets, they're going to see that you own nothing and they're not going to be interested. Well, I interviewed plaintiff's lawyers here in Ohio and asked probably maybe nine of them, before you sue somebody, do you search their assets? And they all looked at me like I was on crack, which maybe there are other reasons for that if you've ever met me. However, I asked them, why, why wouldn't you search for assets? Don't you want to be paid? And they said, well, insurance is almost always present. And we're going to know very quickly if insurance is present, and that means we're going to get paid. The vast majority of them never did an asset search. The one who did, of all the ones I asked, said he might do one in a very large commercial case. So the whole reason that a lot of gurus recommend for setting up land trusts strikes me as a little bit spurious. Anything we do as business people, because I'm also an investor. I look at this as a business. Anything we do as business people the benefit has to outweigh the cost. And the cost doesn't just include money, it includes time and hassle. I can do land trusts for me cheaper than anybody else I know, free. I don't have to hire a lawyer. And I generally don't use them to buy and hold properties. In my case, I really think the LLCs are enough and the land trusts are overkill and irritating. That's a generalization, but for buy and hold properties, that is how I feel about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, land trusts do have other uses other than just as you as you say the legal fiction uh, that that are, are are very handy. I mean, the fact that they they do separate the legal ownership of the property from what is in the public record uh, makes it easy to do things like transfer the beneficial interest without um, the whole world knowing about it. But your your opinion is that from an asset protection standpoint, it's not. From the buy-and-hold standpoint, I'm not a big fan of them. Now, if we start looking into flips where I want to have transitory ownership or non-recorded ownership or I want to get around anti-assignment clauses and contracts, now I start to get more interested. So every tool has its use and every tool has its place. But as a buy-and-hold asset protection technique, I'm not a fan in certain situations where you're doing a quick turn I'm much more interested in using a land trust. Mm-hmm. And I do have, a, I, I've actually litigated a little bit of land trust law down in North Carolina. I took a case pro bono and really got an interesting education in doing it. Um, so it's, it's funny because a lot of the gurus say, well, if your lawyer doesn't like land trusts, he just doesn't know about them. I've read all the courses. I've read the statutes. I've actually had a little bit of time in court on them. So I'm not clueless. I just, there has to be enough of a benefit to justify the cost. And oftentimes I don't see that with land trusts. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Today we are discussing uh, basic asset protection issues. If you have a specific question, you can certainly give us a call at 772-9658 at 877-772-9658 if you're listening from outside the greater Cincinnati area or uh, send us an email to askvina at gmail.com. 
The Sycamore Senior Center is proud to support programming on WMKV, providing services to older adults in 16 communities. The Sycamore Senior Center is located in Blue Ash at 4455 Carver Woods Drive. More information for the Sycamore Senior Center is available at 984-1234. That's 984-1234. Or on their website at mkcommunities.org. Checking on traffic right now, we have uh, the list getting a little smaller. Uh, Westmont at Wyoming, an accident right now. Southbound 71, south or west of the Lytle Tunnel, which would also be Fort Washington Way. On the right shoulder, there is an accident. Clough Pike near State, those are our accidents. And just to have the tra- traffic lights malfunctioning downtown, 3rd at Central. We do have some delays, northbound 71 at Dana, southbound 71 through Pfeiffer, and then again at Dana, North 75 slows up out of downtown through Paddock, South 75 heading toward the Brent Spence Bridge, and perhaps a little heavier than usual on 275 eastbound between Kellogg and US 52 over near Coney Island. Your weather forecast tonight, partly cloudy skies, then clearing late tonight, a low of 60, tomorrow partly sunny with a high of 85. We warm up into the upper 80s, maybe even 90 degrees this weekend with a chance of a thunderstorm Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But it's a small chance, and then on uh, next Tuesday, we'll have a little bit cooler temperatures, high as around 80 degrees. If everyone listening to WMKV told just one person about this radio station, we could double our audience. Talk about making a difference. Please tell a friend about WMKV FM 89.3 and our streaming audio available worldwide at WMKVFM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Heyer, attorney, accountant, real estate investor, and a guy who does a lot of work with a lot of investors on asset protection and tax issues. And that is nationwide, by the way. Folks don't think that because he's in Ohio, he can't uh, at least intelligently address your question about uh, Texas or North Carolina. Um, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Well, John, while we're waiting for folks' more general asset protection questions, um, I want to talk about this this checkbook LLC concept because that is something that I I don't think that I heard of it for the first time until about mm, three or four years ago. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty well connected. I, I hear most of what goes on in the real estate investor community. But when I first heard about it, I absolutely couldn't believe that it was possible. Now, the basic concept here is somehow this checkbook LLC is a special kind of LLC that lets you take direct control of the funds in your IRA. Is that correct? Essentially. Essentially. The biggest plus is you don't have to go through the administrator of the IRA. You have direct check, checkbook writing ability, hence the nickname of the LLC. The biggest downside is you have direct control. You don't go through the administrator. So it's going to depend largely on you and how well prepared and trained you are to correctly run that LLC so you don't botch it. Uh, and I think you know uh, better than most, given the sorts of deals you do, that sometimes speed is essential in order to make a deal happen. Probably the biggest reason we see people get those LLCs is if you look for a good deal, let's say you've got an investor, Vina, that comes and wants to buy a, a deal with you, and then they tell you, well, the, the administrator of the IRA is going to take two weeks to cut a check. What's your reaction typically going to be? <laughs> that's, that's not soon enough. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the, the kind of deals you do, you've got to move quickly. And a lot of people, because especially if they don't have that much money in their IRA, they really want a high-return deal that's going to balloon the amount of money in there. So I'd say that's the number one reason to have that checkbook control, that you can immediately write a check making the IRA through the LLC very nimble, very fast, and most of all, able to take advantage of the very best deals. Okay, well, uh, explain explain what kind of the basic the basic concept here is. How, what, what, do, what do I have to do and how do I get my IRA money into this LLC? Okay, the, the, the way it works, you have to have the LLC set up correctly. There are some pretty important details about who sets it up 
It has to be funded by the IRA, for example. If you were to pay personally for one of these LLCs to be set up, that could cause your IRA to be disallowed or suffer some major, major tax penalties. So the IRA funds it. Someone else sets it up, someone who knows what they're doing. The operating agreement, which is what dictates how the LLC is run, has to contain certain very specific provisions. And that's going to vary some from administrator to administrator. So someone forms the LLC, they have the correct type of operating agreement in place. They then instruct the administrator to take the money from your IRA and invest it in the LLC, and they instruct the administrator to sign the operating agreement as the sole member, typically, of the LLC. Once that happens, the money is then in the LLC. You are now able to act as manager or you have someone else act as manager for you who can directly write the checks. And again, whoever acts as manager needs to have some training in terms of what can and should you do inside of an LLC, what shouldn't you do, and when in doubt, call someone who knows what they're talking about before engaging in a deal. Mm -hmm. Now, most real estate investors have known for uh, years, usually usually, uh, from around the first time they attend their first seminar, that it is possible to make real estate investments in a self-directed IRA that, that... Basically, just about anything that you can invest in personally, your IRA IRA can invest in. And what confused me about what you're saying when I first heard it was, but wait a minute, wait a minute, I've had it whipped into me that it's got to be the IRA custodian or administrator who signs everything, writes all the checks and so on. And what, what really clarified it for me was when I finally understood that the IRA is basically buying the shares of this LLC that you set up. Just as if, John, if you started a new investment company, and I thought it was a really, really great concept and we were going to make all kinds of money, I could invest, my IRA could invest in the shares of your company as opposed to directly into the real estate you're buying. Correct. It's exactly as if you're buying IBM, but it's a much smaller company. You're buying 100% of it. And from a tax standpoint, the company doesn't even exist. A single-member LLC is ignored by the IRS. So you have the checkbook control, but you still have the IRA being treated as an IRA. And any investments you make, it's as if they had been done directly within the IRA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now now what we have sitting here is is this LLC that, as you said, does require special setup. This is not absolutely listeners not one that you set up using the operating agreement you bought off the internet for $99 no bad listener no this this operating agreement has to be extremely um, uh, carefully written uh, to to avoid all kinds of problems with that you don't want with the IRS so all right we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there unless someone asks a specific question about the operating agreement the IRA buys the shares of the operating agreement, and now effectively the IRA's money is sitting there in that LLC, which has a bank account, which means now instead of waiting for your custodian to sign the purchase contract, uh, sign, uh, get the direction of investment, write the check, etc., you simply are, or your manager, as the case may be, uh, is simply writing a check to make this investment, but, and the check's sitting there on your desk. So. Uh, it does uh, make things an awful lot easier than the usual system for going through uh, IRA administrators. Now, the question, John, is are the IRA administrators going to allow this? Because isn't it, isn't it the case that they usually want to, like, they want their fingers in every transaction, they want to see everything that's going on? Depends on the administrator, and it depends on who approaches them how. Um, A lot of administrators, their definition of self-directed is you can invest in any one of our mutual funds that you would like. They're not going to allow you to do it because they don't want your money leaving their mutual funds. You'd have to roll that IRA over to a new administrator. But some of the better-known administrators in the real estate world, equity trust and trust, will permit it if they're comfortable that you're going to do it right and that you're not going to mess it up. For example, with equity trust, they have their lawyer look over the documents before they permit it. And this, this lawyer has seen our documents, for example. One thing that we do in order to calm equity trust and do a better service for our investors is we provide, when we set one of these up, a certain amount of time post-setup. So after you've set up the LLC, the IRA's funded it, you now have control. 
we provide a certain amount of time, typically an hour, for the investor to call and ask questions. And oftentimes it's five to ten minute questions. John, here's the deal I want to do. Is this okay? And a lot of the time we can say yay or nay, or are you willing to tweak it a little to make it okay? A lot of the time when the administrator knows that the investor is going to get that type of advice, they're a lot calmer. What they don't want to see and what they have seen in the past is somebody coming in half-cocked, doing it themselves, or even having some outsider do it, but no follow-up, and then the investor goes and buys things that gets their IRA disallowed. And then everybody's unhappy. The IRS starts looking and nosing and asking questions. The investor's mad. The IRA administrator is probably going to lose some business. Uh, it's just not good for anybody. So it's going to depend on which administrator, who asks, how nicely they ask, and most importantly, how they're setting it up, what's the backup and the follow-through to make sure that there's not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. I just got a question from Scott, who is a frequent listener in St. Paul, Minnesota. He says, what if the money in the IRA is yours? And by the way, that's what we're talking about here, Scott. We're uh, Normally, when we're talking about investments in IRAs, we're talking about how to to talk to other people about like investing your, in your deals through their IRAs, but that's not what we're discussing here. We're talking about your IRA. Uh, so what if the money in the IRA is yours and will eventually be distributed to you? Are there such things as prohibited transactions in which you be, in which you receive or benefit or derive in which you receive benefit or derive personal benefits, even when it's done through the checkbook LLC? He just hit it right on the head. Um, the biggest issue with an IRA that you want to avoid is prohibited transactions. And it sounds bad. Hey, this is a prohibited transaction. I know. Let's go do that. The problem with a prohibited transaction is that it gets some or all of your IRA disallowed. It's a huge penalty. A prohibited transaction is basically self-dealing, where instead of investing with someone that is not related to you, the IRA directly or indirectly buys from you, sells to you, leases from you, lends to you, leases to you, borrows from you, in any way does business, even indirectly. Uh, For example, uh, if you are my good friend Bob and I have a rental property in Hilton Head in my IRA and I rent to Bob and it's a nickel below fair market value, I've got a problem. Heck, if, if I rent to him at fair market value and it looks fishy for some reason, the IRS could come say, you're self-dealing. You're using the assets of your IRA. Let's say you rent it to your boss. They'd say, okay, you're renting it to your boss, and you're getting a benefit out of that because now your boss is happy with you, and that's a misuse of your IRA. So we're going to penalize you until you bleed and squirm from the ear. You're just going to bleed from the ears. <laughs> Typically, a prohibited transaction means that whatever money was involved simply comes out of the IRA and is immediately taxed and penalized. Anything you do in the LLC has to follow the IRA rules. And that's why I say the best thing about a checkbook LLC is that you're in control of that LLC. The worst thing about a checkbook LLC is you're in control of that LLC. You have to follow those rules. You have to be educated in them. And the the number one issue, he hit it right on the head, is prohibited transactions. We have to make sure we don't do that. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and Scott actually has a follow-up question here as well, which is, what is the distinction? Okay, I, I, before, before, I, before I even ask you his question, I think we need to step back and, and, and explain this for a moment. One of the things that a lot of IRA administrators will drill into your head is the idea that if your IRA is doing a deal, you are not doing that deal. It is it is two completely different things. So if the IRA is, for instance, uh, buying a rental property, you are really not supposed to be doing things like managing that rental property, um, getting that thing repaired, etc. And you you absolutely can't do it for a fee. It, it, there's no fine line there, I guess. If 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 you're getting paid to manage your IRAs your IRA's rental property, that's just flat out not good, right? Well, it's, it's strongly not recommended. What the rules say, and the problem is they're very badly written. The rules contradict each other. On the one hand, it says you cannot provide services to your IRA. On the other hand, it says 
you can't pay yourself an unreasonable fee to manage it, which is a contradiction because managing it would be providing a service. Our recommendation is you stick to managing only. You don't do direct work, for example, rehabbing the property, painting the rooms, etc., because now you're providing a service that goes beyond management. And second, that even when you manage it, you know, there's a technical argument to be made that you can pay for yourself. We don't recommend you do it. Who wants to argue with the IRS over what's reasonable pay and what's not? I would much rather avoid the argument by not paying myself to manage it, assuming I choose to manage it at all. A very conservative position would be, we don't want to find out how the law is going to come down since it's so badly written. Why don't we just pay somebody else to manage it? So a lot of the more conservative accountants out there who are familiar with this would recommend that approach for a tax standpoint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So his follow-up question is, what is the distinction between why I can personally, quote, participate in investments in my IRA by, for instance, negotiating a wholesale deal, but once the money is in the deal, I cannot personally participate by doing the work myself on a rehab, for example? That's a great question. And, and again, the distinction comes to it's generally accepted that you're allowed to manage. For example, if I were to buy stock with my IRA, I'm allowed to tell my IRA, go buy this stock. All right, now go ahead and sell that stock. There's also a code provision that says you can actually pay yourself a reasonable salary to quote-unquote manage. So it seems pretty accepted that you can manage. And the question is, once you start doing things that are beyond management, now that falls under a separate category. Now you're providing a service, and that creates a disallowed transaction. And note that the prohibition on you providing services to your IRA doesn't say that the IRA has to pay you for it to be prohibited. If you provide a service, it's prohibited, period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's where the distinction comes. The, the law seems to allow management, although even that part of the law is badly written, which is why some people just say, you know what, don't even take the risk, just have someone else manage it. But it's very clear that you should provide no other services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. And thank you very much for your question, Scott. Really good question. Uh, we have about uh, 10 more minutes left where you could ask your questions of John Heyer, attorney, accountant, real estate investor, and all-around super guy at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or via email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from Boris and Ryan, a family-owned and operated funeral home serving the greater Cincinnati area with three locations in Springdale, Lockland, and Norwood. Boris and Ryan can help with pre-planning, funeral arrangements, and cremation services. More information is available from Boris and Ryan at 513-821-0062 or at borisandryan.com. Checking on traffic, suddenly the long list of accidents has dwindled down to nothing. Uh, even the accident on Fort Washington Way, which is also southbound 71 south of the Lytle Tunnel, cleaned up. So no accidents on the board right now. We have malfunctioning traffic lights at 3rd and Central downtown. And uh, we do have delays, including eastbound 275 at Montgomery and uh, north 75 Harrison to Paddock, south 75 uh, between Hoffel off and onto the bridge, but no other accidents. Your forecast tonight, a few clouds early on, but some clearing after midnight. Tonight's low 62 degrees. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a chance of a, I'm sorry, tomorrow should be a nice day, mostly sunny with a high of 85. It's Friday that we'll have partly sunny skies early on and then a chance of showers later in the day Friday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pretty much the same. Sunny, hot, humid, highs in the upper 80s, and an afternoon uh, thunderstorm possibility each one of those days. Right now, it's 82 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Heyer. Uh, who, by the way, after he heads off to his wife's home country in South America for about two months this this week, uh, will be back in Cincinnati in August to do an all-day session for Cincinnati RIA on the topic of asset protection and tax savings. So stay tuned for more information about that. We need to go to line one and talk to Donald, who's calling from I'm not quite sure where. Donald, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, how you doing? Hey, Donald, where are you calling from? Uh, Amherst, Mass. 
Okay, Amherst. All right. Uh, um, uh, I'm afraid John is probably about to refer to your state as the People's Republic of Massachusetts. I live in the People's Republic of Amherst, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's your question, Donald? I just want to basically, uh, how much does it cost to do one of these uh, um, single-member LLCs, or is this something that needs to be talked at, a, at a, in his office? Well, we can, we can, what we can do for you, Donald, because this is public radio, is we can kind of give you a range of what you're going to find out there. Because uh, because both John and I have actually researched that. <laughs> okay. What what are people paying? Um, John, what what are you finding? I mean, again, this is a more complicated LLC setup than the typical. So what what are you finding out there in the way of a range of prices for this? With very few exceptions, I would say right around three thousand dollars is the starting point when you're dealing with somebody credible. And I've seen very few exceptions to that rule. Most of the people who charge less than that are going to be not necessarily credentialed, not necessarily very careful, and especially the ones who just sell you a template. I just think that's extraordinarily dangerous. So I'd say three grand is the typical starting point for somebody credible. Okay. And we've here's seen. A, we've seen. Here's another problem that I have. Uh, I have not been able to find an attorney in Massachusetts that knows anything about. Um, self-directed uh, Roth IRAs or single-member LLCs, and well, uh, two, two or three of them told me. One or two of them told me it was actually illegal. I'm saying <laughs> I know it's not illegal. I just need to get it done. I need to find somebody. And you go to the custodians, and the custodians go right up to the point where, well, we can't do anymore because it's illegal. You need to find your own attorney. So, mm-hmm. I'm, like between a rock and a hard place. Do you have any attorneys or, or, or search? How would I search other than just pounding the phone, which I've been doing? Donald, we'll, we'll, we can give you John's information off air um, to, to talk to him about this. Okay. Okay, so. Uh, uh, can can Donald like go back on hold and they can take his information up front? Okay, uh, they're going to put you on hold, Donald, and they'll get your name and number uh, up front, and I will give you a call after the show. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for your call, Donald. And admirable restraint there, John, in not commenting on the laws and government of the state of Massachusetts. It's, in so many ways, I was restrained. I didn't start blurting out websites. <laughs> I didn't make fun of Massachusetts. And, and to be fair. Their senators have gotten less bad recently, so there's a ray of hope. <laughs> All right, um, we have we have one other question here that came in uh, via email from it. It looks like Herb in Phoenix, perhaps he's somewhere in Arizona with a 480 phone number. Um, he says, "I I have a question that." Wow, I feel like I just lost John. <laughs> I just lost John. Okie dokie. Well, um, Herb, I'm going to have to wait until we get John back in order to even answer your question. In the meantime, um, let's see what's coming up at Cincinnati Rhea. Uh, we have um, a meeting in a week. It's not tomorrow. It's a week from tomorrow with a very special guest coming in from out of town that you all have heard here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. His name is John Zorer, and he is the 26-year-old real estate investing um, short sale uh, whiz kid from Newark, New Jersey. Uh, He will be coming to Cincinnati next week to speak about short sales uncensored and that's one that uh, not only should you come to, you just bring a guest because it is guest night. All guests attend that meeting for free. And I think we have John back. John, are you there? Wow. I'm getting all kinds of interference. And absolutely no. <laughs> and there he goes again. <laughs> oh, golly. See, they, they don't have these problems with podcasts and those internet radio shows because they can always stop and fix it and post. And we don't have post here on Real Life Real Estate because we actually are live. If you're listening on the podcast, you should know that uh, we are live on Wednesdays at 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time and... Uh, you can listen in live by going to wmkvfm.org. That's wmkvfm.org. Uh, hit the little currently playing button. Uh, make sure you come in five minutes early if you haven't downloaded the player already. And we will, uh, you'll, you'll be able to hear us uh, live. Okay, so John. Yes. Quick question from Herb. Sorry about all the, all the hang-up issues here. 
He says, I am a single man with a large real estate holdings, but no children and no partners. A local attorney recommended that I not do a one-person LLC because they're not viewed favorably by the courts, and he suggested making my niece the 1% owner. Are courts really that stupid? <laughs> um, okay, let me answer the several questions asked. Are courts really that stupid? If you have to ask, you've not met your local elected judge. <laughs> um, yes, they often can be actually much dumber than that. They have a positive talent for it. However, when it comes to single-member LLCs, here's the deal. Typically, they do get less protection. It doesn't mean no protection. It means less protection. They're scrutinized a lot more heavily. In some states, particularly screwball states like California, there are major, major issues. The cure, unfortunately, is worse than the disease. Getting a 1% partner, the courts aren't that stupid. If you get a 1% partner and you're 99%, the court's going to see what you're doing typically, and they're not going to give you much more respect than if you were a 100% owner versus 99%. Now, if you have a bona fide that is a real in every respect, not a fake, not a paper owner, but a real owner of, let's say, you know, 10, 20, 30%, probably it does provide better asset protection if push comes to shove. What's the problem? You just you're gave away 30% of your 20, business. 30% owner. <laughs> who, if you've had partners before, my, my favorite, you know, it's, it's like watching The Simpsons and Bart's in the car going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> um, and the partners can create liability of their very own. So I would say it's true that single-member entities provide somewhat less protection than solid multi-member entities, and I think you're pretty much stuck with that result because the cure is worse than the disease. Well, thank you much, very much uh, for being with us today, John. We are out of time, but again, you want to hear more from John Heyer, uh, stay tuned. He's coming to Cincinnati in August, and we will give you more information about that as that comes closer. Um, in the meantime, we'll be, we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. WMKV, Reading, Ohio. Fox 19 News is next. We begin with breaking news. High water is causing some major problems in a Boone County neighborhood. Fox 19's Dan Wells joining us live with the very latest. Dan? Well, guys, for much of the day, Boone County has been underwater. We're off of Hopeful Church, which is off of Kentucky 18 here in Florence. And take a look beside me. This creek really doesn't look like much right now, but